Fake news. It's a term that's been haphazardly tossed around to point the finger at journalists who report with bias, websites that are designed to mislead, and a general public that willingly shares and reshares content that may be patently false. Well, today we welcome Ben Swan, Atlanta's former CBS anchorman, to the show to discuss the topic. He's been independently producing news that gets noticed since 2013 and gives interesting insights to an America that you won't see in the corporate press. And then we'll introduce you to Amplify Exchange, a commission-free cryptocurrency brokerage based out of Ireland. Ah, top of the morning to you. So get ready to dive deep into the world of media and discover what it looks like from the inside. A warning. It's not pretty. This is the Not Fake News, episode number 383 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, ignition. Who's bad? Hello, Mr. Travis Wright. You be looking like a leprechaun today, because it is, I do believe, St. Patrick's Day. Ah, that not be true. The only thing I got green on is me undies. <laughs> is this a commercial for me undies? <laughs> you know that's a thing, right? Yeah, but I don't have those kind of me undies. I have Trader Joe, not Trader Joe's. I have uh, what is it, Duluth Trading Undies from Does the Trader Pack. Joe's make undies? No, no, they don't. Duluth Trading Company does, and they cup your balls very sweetly. <laughs> you get a free pair of uh, underwear, Trader Joe's, with three buck chuck. <laughs> you buy some peanut butter. Get yourself some drawers. And welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast. Happy St. Patrick's Day to our friends that do celebrate the green. Ireland is a beautiful, beautiful country, Travis. Truth is, I've been there. I've been drunk there a few times. Did you kiss the Blarney Stone? I did not. I kissed I, I lots of pints of beer. The Blarney Stone should be forever closed because of the amount oh of viral transmission. Talk about <laughs> social distancing. Keep me a mile away from that thing. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of social distancing, no more kissing the Blarney Stone with your with your virus ridden tonsils. Mm-mm. We got some great content. We've been holding on to this interview with Ben Swan for a while, and you guys. We had to heavily edit it. We did have to heavily edit, edit it, but it's, still, it's a great interview. We do have an NFT associated with it, and we'll have news about the NFTs that you're still waiting for. They're on their way, but we'll tell you about that later. First, let's talk about Crypto.com because they are the only single platform that allow you to buy, sell, store, track, and pay crypto securely in one place. Their vision is to put cryptocurrency in every wallet because that's how you get to mass adoption, currently reaching more than 1 million users worldwide. Their Crypto.com app prides itself in user experience and financial incentives. Both Travis and I have secured the uh, Icy White card. They have a bunch of different cards that you can check out. And if you go sign up today at badco.in forward slash crypto, you'll notice that you get $50 in USD when you sign up for one of the metal MCO Visa cards today. Check it out, badco.in forward slash crypto. I want to I want to add this there, Mr. Joe Com, because I find this thing, so traditionally what I would do is if I'm going to sell crypto, I go sell some crypto uh, over on Coinbase, and then I convert it to the USD and then wire it to my account, and I have it in my bank account in one to two days, right? That's what I would, would normally do with crypto if I'm going to try to convert it into fiat. But now with with this card, it's so handy. You literally would just send Bitcoin over to your crypto.com wallet. Then 
Once that money has arrived, you can then top off your card, send over USD over to the credit card or the debit card portion of your wallet. So you got kind of like two wallets in there. You got your fiat wallet and then you got your cryptos and then you just convert those over into cash. And then you have a little reservoir of cash in there. You can just use like a regular debit card. Yesterday, I went to I went to the ATM and pulled out cash just like a regular ATM card. So, I mean, I think it's it seems to be way more handy than what I'm experiencing with Coinbase. And that's that's not me kissing ass to a sponsor. That's just me saying this is the handiest that I've seen something for mass adoption yet. Handy and dandy, but you can't eat it like candy. Yeah, that rhymes. That was good. That wasn't good, but it does rhyme. I mean, that part of it was good, that it rhymed. It was good that it rhymed. Yeah, the rest I mean, if of it was like, it's handy, it's dandy, you can eat it like bacon, then that would be like, what? Mm-hmm. That'd be like nothing. It's All nifty, right. it's shifty. <laughs> it's nifty. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have anything else other than Go that. buy me a gifty. So go, go buy Joel a gifty. Hey, we got oh a gift God. for you, folks. It's called an interview with Ben Swan, and uh, we think you're going to like this. Go check it out. Good evening. This is Roger Mudd. And now the news. Breaking news at the Bad Crypto headquarters. A journalist, a three-time Edward R. Murrow Award winner, a two-time Emmy Award winner, a former anchor for Fox, NBC, and CBS, the creator of Truth in Media, has just broken into the building. He's tackled Mr. Travis Wright. Travis, you okay, bud? Yeah, I'm way way better after I unmuted myself. Like he's, uh, Yeah, nice tackling skills. That's it. We have none other than Mr. Ben Swan with us here. And that was a horrible um, yeah, Roger Mudd that I did there. But uh, Ben, welcome to Bad Crypto. Hey, thanks for having me on. That that tackle went was so hard it knocked his uh, microphone onto mute. That's true. <laughs> Very impressive. Very impressive. well done. Uh, ben, you're an old school journalist. You've been more than two decades in, in broadcast news. You uh, were you started in El Paso as a photog and worked your well all the way up to primetime anchor and have a storied history of, you know, creating content, broadcasting, working in politics. And now here you are. You stooped and fallen so low that you're on our show. So we appreciate that. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it stupid. I'd say. I'd say uh, I have evolved with the way things should be. Right, moving towards the the crypto space and the decentralized space. That's the future. I like that, and that's what you talk about. And you're involved in in projects in that arena. So let's. Um, you know, I know I kind of gave a quick overview of where you've come from and what you've done, but just tell us a little bit about who you are more than all these wonderful accomplishments. Sure, absolutely. Well, more than anything else, above everything else, I'm a husband and a father. I have uh, five kids and a terrific wife. Uh, and that's kind of the, the sum of who I am more than anything. Five? Five kids. Five. Well, eventually I bought a TV because I figured out what was causing it. But <laughs> <laughs> prior to that, uh, no, my wife and I, we started very young. When we were 20 years old. We got married. We had our first daughter. And uh, just life with them is incredible. But you know, for me, as, as far as the, my professional career and, you know, candidly here, the only reason I ever got into journalism was because I did get married so young and, you know, we, we got married, we started having kids. I had been a photog at one time and went back to it because I needed a job that paid well. Um, it didn't. And so I got in front of the camera because it paid better. That's how I got uh, into journalism. I did not get into it as a calling or a belief in, in you know, uncovering truth, speaking truth to power, any of that kind of stuff. I just did it strictly for the money. 
Uh, and that's kind of how my career started. And it was about eight, nine years into my career that I really began to see, uh, you know, the need for uh, truth in certain spaces, specifically when I was covering the drug war in Mexico. When I went into Mexico, I grew up on the border and I was actually going into Mexico and covering the drug war. And I just saw how how wrong the story was, you know, coming out of national media. It was kind of my first exposure to national media narrative that did not go along with the facts. And so that really began kind of to change me. And then I moved to Ohio, this, this kind of the center point, the epicenter, if you will, for all politics in America uh, and covered the, the 2012 election from there and saw even more of how there's this national narrative and lies being spoken to us. So, you know, today we use the term fake news a lot. Today we use the terms about being lied to by media and the distrust for media. But I was kind of on the forefront of that uh, in the early 2000s and then early 2010s of really recognizing that there was, you know, a, a fake news apparatus in place and, and doing my best to help break that. And and you've gone down some serious rabbit holes in your in your career, which a lot of people won't do. Like, I know personally I do because I like to know the truth. I try to disentertain what the truth, the, you know, what the, what is the actual truth? I'm trying, you know, and, and it's really hard to tell what the actual truth is. And I think for me, the very first thing that I realized that that what we thought was true was not was when I finally understood the Federal Reserve Bank. Um, we had G. Edward Griffith on the show and we talked with him about, you know, the, the origins of the Fed and just how this whole apparatus has been created over time. What was the moment for you? So you, you mentioned something about the war on drugs. Now, was that Fast and Furious cause? Was that before Fast and Furious? Or what was what was that moment when you said things are not right? Yeah, so so for me, it's actually this predates Fast and Furious, though I did a lot of coverage on Fast and Furious when it was taking place. And actually, before uh, Fast and Furious really took off, before uh, we reached the point where it became kind of a, a national headline of, you know, the fact that the Obama administration was using dr uh, guns going into Mexico and all that, long before that, I actually was predicting uh, a lot of that. And what I what I mean by that is essentially coming in and saying, hey, there is something terribly, terribly wrong uh, with the way that this story um, and this situation is, is, is playing out. And the reason for that was because covering the drug war in Mexico, what I saw was there was a narrative national media kept talking about, um, about the idea that only bad guys were getting killed by other bad guys, right? That, that cartels were killing other cartels. And so it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't really affecting anyone. It would, in fact, what was actually happening in Mexico was you had tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who were being kind of uh, collapsing into a violence begetting more violence begetting more violence. Um, and the reason that's significant is because if you watch national media, you didn't recognize that, that the drug trade, the drug war that was happening in Mexico was intertwined into every facet of society, military, local police, federal and state police, politicians, local business owners, uh, business owners from the U.S. who were having to essentially pay off cartels to not kill them and kidnap them, right? And it was, and it was in every facet of uh, society in Mexico. And when you see it that way, the only answer that comes out of that, how do you deal with that, is to say, how do you break the backs of cartels? Because that's the only way to, to help free Mexico uh, from the situation it's in. And candidly, there's only one way to do that, which is to legalize drugs in the United States. Because the only way you're going to break the backs of those cartels is to remove the black market associated with it. Mm. That's a whole other longer discussion. But I began to see that that in, you couldn't even get to that discussion because from the very get-go, 
the claims that were being made were just simply untrue. For instance, like I said, that only bad guys are killing other bad guys, and they're the only people who are involved. And so if, if you're not involved in the drug trade, you have nothing to worry about in Mexico. That was an absolute lie. You know, in the 1990s, there were about 300 women uh, who were mysteriously uh, murdered. They were taken off, raped, and murdered, uh, and then their bodies left around the desert in Cedar Juarez. That's called the, the Juarez Femicides. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this. How, far is, 19- that, how far is that from America, from the border? Like, uh, literally, you can step on one side with one foot in the United States and one foot in Mexico. Oh, yeah, that's, that's close. That's where it is. I mean, it is. It is. So, so just to give you a, a geographical picture, El Paso, Texas sits as the largest border metroplex in the world. It's El Paso, Texas on one side. It's Cedar Juarez on the other side. Mm. And together, those two areas consist of about three to four million people who live between those two spaces. Uh, it's the largest metroplex in the world uh, on a border. And so... You can literally, it just goes back and forth. Like people travel back and forth. They go to school back and forth. It, it's uh, kind of one city. So in the 1990s, this happened. And it's there's been international movies made about it. Lots been made about these femicides of what is. In, in 2007, 2008, there were thousands, not, not 300, thousands of women killed each year. And when I say killed, I mean bodies chopped up, thrown into mass graves, just grabbed off the streets. Because here's what ha- is what happens. When you say there are drug cartels fighting each other, and when one cartel has the police force and the other cartel has the military, and they're literally in shootouts killing each other on the streets, all of a sudden there is no law and order at all in the city. And that means when all the police for- focus and all the, the government focus is on this war, there's rampant crime every place else and there's no one to answer it so if you're murdered and your body's left on the streets there's no one to even investigate they literally picked up bodies and were putting them into morgues not knowing who these people were giving it 30 days and if no one comes for them because there was no room they would just take all these bodies out and drop them into a mass grave and that's not cartels doing that that's Mm. the city having to do that so that's the situation that was actually unfolding but it wasn't being discussed because there was this lie being told about how the good guys were the Mexican government fighting against the bad guys, the cartel, to try to clean up the clean up the situation. And unfortunately, right now we're seeing massive wild violence across Mexico once again. Uh, it is happening still. It has not stopped. Uh, the cartels absolutely control Mexico. It is a narco state. Um, and because we won't address it, we can't help Mexico. We can't deal with what's actually taking place there. Um, and, and even the, the so-called legalization efforts for marijuana here in the U.S. Um, really aren't because they're so heavily regulated and controlled by government because government wants its peace, has kept the black market alive for a lot of those illegal drugs coming across. Mm, wow. Well, this and several other issues led you to build your own site called truthandmedia.com. So how bad does mainstream media have to be to require you to build a site that is going to basically fact check the fact checkers yeah on a scale of of one to ten with one being everything's truthful and ten is it's all propaganda where would you put and let's let's collectively say abc nbc cbs fox cnn cnbc msnbc new york times washington post Lump them all together and give me a number. So when I started the project in 2012, 2013, I would say the number at that time was probably a six or a seven. I would say now, where we're sitting right now, it's an 11 or 12. 
And I, and I, and I, these go, these go to 11. I, I do. I, I, I believe we've broken the scale. Yeah. So I would say it's probably at an 11 at this point. We've reached that point of it being completely off the charts in terms of what is happening, uh, with media. And that's because, you know, it used to be we trained media, uh, or media trained the public, right? To go, to go to a mindset that said, um, don't come to us for facts. Come to us because we'll tell you what you want to hear. We'll give you the facts that you're looking for. But we've actually gone beyond that. We're in a post-truth era now uh, where we are truly in a setup where it is no longer about what is true and what is not true. And whether you like him or you don't, one thing that, that President Trump has done is help to lift the veil on the fact that we have journalists who for two years made all these claims about Russian collusion and evidence and proof and all this talk about the FISA courts and about the Trump dossier, right? And again, whether you like him or not, it's nothing to do with whether you're shilling for Trump or you're against him. It has to do with the facts. The facts show that the FBI and the CIA worked illegally to spy on his campaign. Those facts don't matter to an entire portion of Americans. Fine. Forget about the public. They don't matter to people who call themselves journalists. There are journalists who literally have have written articles and tweeted and said that there is no way that the Trump dossier, which was completely unverified, was used to get a FISA warrant on Carter Page. There There are hundreds of journalists who have done this. Not one of those journalists has come forward and said, I was absolutely wrong. Clearly, it was used. It was it was wrongfully used. And see, here's what's important about this, guys. It's not about Carter Page. It's not even about Trump. But the FISA issue has has demonstrated is why FISA courts, the FISA court system is corrupt. It is unbelievably corrupt. It's why in our Constitution and under our Constitution, we're not allowed to have secret courts in the first mm-hmm. place. And so everyone who, on the right right now who's upset and they say, See, this just shows they were they were after Trump. Okay, I'm with you on that. But then they say, so we might need to relook at the FISA system. They don't actually want to relook at the FISA system. They just don't want it to be used against their guy. But the problem is, is that the issue with the FISA court is not that it was used against Trump and his campaign. It's the FISA court system itself is completely and inherently corrupt. So in 2016, President Obama signed a bill essentially saying that this propaganda Right, that the United States government can propagandize its citizens legally. That has happened. Now, it doesn't mean that they can force anyone to say anything, but they don't need to force anyone. Guys, here's what blows my mind. We're sitting in a moment where we have CIA and NSA directors like John Brennan and James Comey not just lying to the American public, which, by the way, another thing that this dossier, has, I mean, this uh, this FISA report has proven is that John Brennan, the head of the C- former head of the CIA, literally sat in front of Congress and lied. He told them things that were absolutely untrue. Now, doesn't surprise me one bit to say a, a CIA director lies because the CIA lies about lots of things. The FBI lies about lots of things. But the problem is there's no repercussion for it, number one. And number two, here's what's completely shifted in the landscape. Go back to 2010. Go back to the year 2000. Go back to the 1980s or 70s or 60s. You would never have had the former head of the CIA or the NSA as a paid political contributor sitting on CNN, Mm. sitting on ABC News, sitting on NBC News and 
spreading these propaganda lies about what the government is and is not doing, and they go unchecked. So John Brennan will sit in front of Anderson Cooper. James Clapper will sit in front of Anderson Cooper, and they will regurgitate lies to the public that are provably false statements, and they're not challenged on them. And so what, what's happened is, is the networks have become propaganda arms for the U.S. government and specifically for the deep state. And, and that's what's really crazy to me. Go back to the, the protests, uh, the Vietnam protests in the 1960s and, and those anti-war protests. Where, where are those voices allowed? Well, what, what, what was figured out in the 60s and 70s was we can't allow just people to have voices to go around and spread dissent. And the Internet really opened up that opportunity. And so what's happened in the meantime is that is that um, cable news and network news has become a propaganda voice on behalf of, again, governments and deep state. And then simultaneously, social I'm going to call them social engineering companies. Social engineering companies like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Google, what they have done is they are now mirroring those those talking points and, and purging everyone who doesn't fit those narratives. And so we literally are sitting in a moment where all propaganda is being funneled through multiple sources. We have more information now. Well, I should say we have more platforms for information now, but less good information than we've ever had. So, you know, so what's happening right now with our listeners is there's some people that are varying degrees of, yep, we know this. Some some have known it for years yep. when all, you know, when scandals started years ago, we're like, we see this for what it is. Others are just, there's a lot of people waking up to it now, but there's some people out there that are really angry. They're like, oh, you're just, you're just shilling for a drump, you know, and yes. we, we don't get overly political on the show. Both Travis and I feel that we've, you know, seeing what's really going on for years but what would you tell people those with an open mind right that haven't tuned out yet because you know you haven't pissed them off enough yet yeah. to get them to go down a rabbit hole and just consider that this is not about them personally yes you know well, this is about truth and that's really important look let me just uh, i should have prefaced in the beginning by saying this i'm not a trump supporter i actually am I'm not a fan of president trump um i i didn't vote for him I wouldn't vote for him again in 2020. Now, I vote third party. I don't vote for either of the two parties. That's a whole other fight we can get into. I mean, I, I just think that we need we need more choices, not fewer. But mm -hmm. if you are listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, no, no, Trump's just a bad guy. It's if you allow yourself to fall into the trap that is laid for you, which says that this is cult of personality. So if you think Trump is bad, therefore, anything that is done to stop him is acceptable. Any violation of law, any uh, abuse of power to stop him is acceptable. Uh, then that's part of the problem. You're falling for this cult of personality push. Meanwhile, if you think that Trump is good, therefore anything he does, abuse of power, um, the continued growth of the, of the executive branch, then you are also falling for this cult of personality. And that's what media more than anything else does. It justifies bad behavior being propagated against all of us. By turning it into a personality fight about, well, this guy is, is so bad that we must stop him at any cost, or this guy is so good, we must support him at any cost. And, and the reality of our constitutional republic is that it is a republic of laws and not of men, meaning that it is set up in a way to say we must protect above anything else the rule of law because the rule of law must triumph. That's why when going back to, to the Patriot Act, 
why the Patriot Act was such a threat, because it became this, oh, we must defend ourselves against terrorism and extremism. And that means at any cost. Therefore, we will strip away constitutional rights, due process rights. We will remove all of this from you for your own for your own safety. And the founders and framers were wise enough to know that that was the trap that we would fall into. So having said all that, let me say this, because going back to media. So I made a, a comment a few minutes ago that we are living in a time where we have more platforms for information, but less good information than we have had in the entire internet age at this moment. But the positive of it is that there, there should be, maybe there aren't, but there should be enormous opportunities for discussion and debate. Just like we, you know, when Travis and I were saying we, we both voted third party. When you vote third party, it's part of it's a recognition of having more voices in the debate, not fewer voices, more options, more ideas in this country. And that's what we need. We need more ideas, more challenging of narratives to take place. There's this incredible report that just came out from the OPCW. The, the report was essentially a challenge of the fact that in 2018, uh, the Organization on the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons said that the Assad regime in Syria gassed their people. You guys probably remember that in 2018. And then Trump fired a bunch of missiles and blew up an airbase yeah. mm -hmm. over there. The problem is, is that we now have multiple emails that have come out, thanks to WikiLeaks, emails that have come out showing that actually the OPCW didn't tell the truth about that. And they buried information. And now we have a reporter from Newsweek who says that he tried to write an article about the updated information and Newsweek killed it and threatened to fire him and sue him if he ran this story. I mean, that's not about supporting Trump or being against him. It's not about supporting Assad or being against him. It's about saying that in this world, there are some things that are true and there are things that are not. And as a journalist, above any other profession, we should be pursuing just to know the truth and allow you as a viewer, as a listener, to make up your mind based on information, not based on propaganda. Okay, there was one of the interesting quotes that I had heard back in the day. I think it was like, way back in like 1981 with the former CIA director, William Casey, he had said this, he said, we'll know that our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. Now that's the CIA director in 1981 saying that at the beginning of the Reagan administration. Yep. And so knowing these things for me has always been like, wow. So what else do we not know? Right. What else? What else is out there? Are they are they telling us things that we may not know? And so that's led me down so many rabbit holes in life. And and, and one of the reasons, Ben, that that Joel and I are actually even doing bad crypto is we had got I, I wrote an article on Huffington Post um, about about WikiLeaks and Trump and Russia and John Podesta and that whole scenario. And I said, look, we can we and it was it was like a five thousand word article. And I was talking about all these different things. Like, yeah, Podesta left his phone in a taxi and his password was password. I don't know how that was hacked by Russians. My son could hack that, right? That's there's all these different there's all these different facts that people just don't know or don't realize. And one of the things that we came to was look, blockchain, voter ID, right? Right. If yeah. Russians hacking our stuff, then why we need to get on blockchain. We need to we need to have transparency into our voting. That's and right. Yep. And then as a result of writing that article, this, these group of people reached, you know, reached out to me and they were wanting to create this platform that basically graded fake news that are graded news in general, like, and, and then placed a bias on, is this a left leaning bias? Is this a right leaning bias? 
is this journalist beholden to do they mention certain brands regularly? Are they beholden to other people and sort of doing this deep exploration? And, and we were calling it deep sea and S.E.E. So doing a deep sea in every piece of content and having sort of like this Wikipedia type of thing where people can come and 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 they can earn crypto by grading the news. And we created this whole thing. And the CEO, one of the guys who had done it, then all of a sudden decided he wanted to do a decentralized YouTube instead. And so then we're like, okay, well, the deep sea thing is the, is the best idea that I've seen. And then it, it seems to me that you are working on something very similar to this with this new project that you're working on called Isagoria. Want to maybe tell us about Isagoria, what it is and what, what, what the, uh, the mission of, of the project is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and by the way, the deep sea thing sounds amazing. It really does. Um, so I'd love to talk to you more about that. But uh, Isagoria, the project we're working on is essentially this. It's it's to create a 24-7 streaming channel. Um, it's essentially three components. So we would kind of become a similar to a Netflix uh, in terms of having original content programmed 24-7 that is streaming through our app. But on top of that, we would also become a free speech platform that has a channel service similar to YouTube that allows uh, content creators and reporters and journalists and entertainers and educators, right, who are being purged off of YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and give them a place where they can have an actual, you know, uh, channel um, that gives them freedom to talk about the issues they want to talk about. Now, every time that this is brought up, people immediately turn to, oh, hate speech. Yeah, I've got to watch out for that because then you're going to have hate speech on there. The majority of people who are being purged off of these sites are not neo-Nazis and, and you know, alt-right personalities. That's actually a, a, an absolute lie. The majority of people who have been purged from Facebook and from Twitter and from YouTube run the gamut in terms of political beliefs. They come from the left. They come from the right. They come from the center. They're libertarian. They, uh, many of them uh, are anti-war. Um, and, and what they really have in common is that they're anti-establishment. They are against the establishment view of what is happening in foreign policy, in domestic policy, um, here in our country and around the world. And if you defer and you are outside of that, uh, you know, mainstream matrix, you get removed from these sites or you get shadow banned where you think you're still on the site, but no one can see your content. Mm -hmm. And it's happening every day to thousands of content creators. Here's what's shocking to me, guys. Facebook and Google have both come out saying how they are going to work so hard to protect the integrity of the 2020 election. And they are lying to you. They're not working to protect the integrity of the election. They are working to skew the election. There is more impact that Facebook and YouTube will have on how voters vote by restricting voices, by restricting those who challenge uh, candidates on both the right and the left. Right. They're restricting these voices and not allowing them to be heard. And by doing that, they're actually preventing uh, voters from being informed and instead forcing voters back into the same funnel that was the mainstream narrative. And I'm going to tell you, in 2017, there was an audit done of Facebook by Media Matters for America, which is a George Soros-backed uh, kind of left-leaning group. And what they did was they looked at um, the election and why Trump got elected. And one of the things they came away with was that they completely had control of the narratives of mainstream broadcast. But what they had lost control of was what these different content creators who were on 
the internet who were on Facebook and they were on YouTube. And so all of a sudden there come, here comes the Atlantic council and different groups that are now advising YouTube on who to remove. And every couple of months, a few hundred or a thousand pages get removed very quietly without explanation for why they go. And yet they virtually all of them, uh, they're not conspiracy channels per se. These are just anyone who challenges those narratives. And so what we are creating is a platform to say, hey, listen, if you want to be a part of this conversation, if you want to have a voice, uh, it is not up to us to decide whether or not you should be heard. We want to create a, a platform where people can come and dissent and discuss and debate. We believe that more debate is better for the republic than less debate. We believe that more voices are better for the republic than fewer voices, and that out of that mix of voices, that truth ultimately emerges. Well, you know, here's one of the the major problems, right? You already talked about how mainstream media is at 11 as far as not being reliable and how the major Silicon Valley social and search platforms that, you know, have the ability to impact billions, right, around the world for their agenda. Um, There's several sites in, you know, including yours that intend to change how content is delivered, but how do we overcome the behemoth that's out there that is really, that's doing evil? Well, it is doing evil. And I think one of the ways that you overcome that is rather than saying, well, we have to be as big as they are. We don't. Because here's the reality is that the majority of the public knows they're being lied to. They know the information is bad. It's why every year the number of people who are watching broadcast news drops, the number of people who are paying attention, even even the numbers on social media since these purges have taken place have dropped tremendously. Facebook's numbers are considerably down from where they were in 2016. Now, Facebook will tell you, no, no, we have more users. But that's because Facebook shifted how they're counting users. They're now counting Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp users all together into one group. Really? By, by the way, let me just interject here, which is what's really interesting. Here's a fun game to play when you talk to family, friends, associates. Just have them guess how many people during prime time watch cable news like, you know, Fox msnbc cnn and then when they guess undoubtedly they're going to guess millions because people don't really know most people don't follow tv ratings they're just going to assume millions of people watch tell them that cnn fell to a three-year low averaging 643,000 viewers from 9 to 11 that is that is the prime viewing hour for the week leading up to this interview doesn't really matter when it happens because you know people are just tuning out that that really in a nation of what 360 million people Mm -hmm. uh, just over half a million is not a whole lot of influence it's not but it's also it's also that it's in airports it's also if you go into any hotel internationally it's like a lot of times cnn is the only channel that's in english in some of these other channels and some of these other countries Yeah. And and the reality is this, though, if you think about how few people are watching and yet how much influence still goes to them, it it was Samuel Adams once said, it does not take a majority, but a small, irate minority setting brush fires in the minds of men to create revolution. That's what we need is is not a majority of people, but a small group of people who are engaged. And then that engagement continues to grow. We've seen it happen in the past. Look, Facebook is already a great model for the fact that people 
who first really began to, to see Facebook explode, it happened when, when folks were able to go on there and have discussions they wanted to have and find information they thought was interesting. The height of Facebook was really about 2010 to 2016. And it was during those political seasons when people felt they had more freedom to be able to find information. And what's happened since 2016 has been a rapid decline of Facebook use because if you go on Facebook right now, you are hard-pressed to find anything that is not mainstream establishment content. That is the vast majority of what's on there. So I think what we're going to see is a, a shift in the public to say, okay, um, we know that that there is other information out there. I don't think the majority of people uh, believe that – well, they clearly don't believe they're being told the truth by what's out there. But they know there's more, and they know there are – uh, sources out there to get good information. But where do we create a platform? And so I've spent a lot of my time creating content. That's why I'm now focused on the platform. How do we create the platform that gives not just myself a voice, but other journalists and content creators a voice to be able to share ideas? And it's not all politics, right? It's not all about what's happening with elections. It's a wide variety of content creators who will be able to come there and, and have the freedom to expand the conversation in whatever space they're in so that it is not all dominated by the same two or three voices. And I think that is the real disruptor in the space. The name of the Umbrella Project is Isagoria. Now, the name of the platform when it's done may not be that. Uh, right now, we're just calling it Ice Media, but it's I-S-E, Ice Media. But the name actually comes back to one of the oldest words in human language for equality of speech. It's a Greek word. And it goes back to the ancient Greeks who created a system uh, where they would allow anyone and everyone, not just the elites, not just those who had power, but anyone and everyone was allowed to have equality in their voice to speak out about what they saw in the public square. That was the, a concept that we actually derived from ancient Greece. And think about how revolutionary that was in the world, because at the time, the Greeks were creating this thing called democracy in a world that was controlled only by kings and priests and those who had ultimate power. And so the average person didn't have a voice. Most people within that world were actually slaves. They weren't even free people. Even in, the, even in the Greek society, the majority of people were not free. They were two-thirds of the population were slaves. One-third was free. More, we're a lot further towards the good than we are from the bad of what it used to be, right? And, and, and that is the progression of, of humankind, the progression of this human experience over the course of thousands and thousands of years. And one thing that we know is that something that began with the Greeks, I think, applies to our society today, which is we have reverted to an idea that only the elite, only those who have a position of authority and power are allowed to speak on issues and everyone else needs to sit down, shut up, take their medicine and listen to what they're being told. When in fact, if we want to have a, a vigorous democracy, if we want to have a vigorous society uh, where ideas come to the forefront, we have to be able to say everyone has a voice, not equality of facts, because facts are not equal but an equality of opportunity to speak, an opportunity to debate. Again, as I said, I believe that we need more debate, more discussion, more opportunities for people to talk to each other instead of everyone just yelling at each other. There's too much yelling and there's not enough discussion. That's, uh, that's why I like what uh, Stephen Crowder does, you know, on, on university yes. campuses. So, so he'll have a sign up like uh, the most recent one I saw was that uh, affirmative action is racist. Change my mind. And then he engages. You know, he has a, it's a 
you know, the, to put, go out there is kind of in your face. But he sits down with people and seeks to have conversation person to person, one at a time, answer objections and, and actually try to have his mind changed. And uh, he does usually they go really well. You know, uh, sometimes you get people that just screech at him because they can't handle an opinion different than their own. I think that, you know, maybe it's social media that's brought this about. And I'm curious what your take is on this, Ben. Do we just in general have a um, adult you know, uh, man and woman baby problem, right? Adults acting as, as infants. Well, I think we do. And I think, but I, I actually blame uh, the mainstream media for it first and then social media second. And the reason for that is because I think media, again, has trained us to not be thinkers. We, what, what Fox did in 1996 when they came along, what MSNBC then copied later, was this idea of creating silos and walled gardens where they become echo chambers to their audiences. The audience comes in not wanting to learn anything, but to be validated in what they already believe. Tell me that I'm right in what I believe. Sean Hannity, tell me that I'm right in what I believe, Rachel Maddow. And it happens every single night, but, but it's only for a small portion of people. And the problem is, is that every um, echo that we get from media, whether it's through social media or it's, it's, you know, through broadcast or cable, is this idea that everyone else out there who has a differing opinion is against us. This idea that people are against each other and primarily fighting each other because they have differing ideas. And we do not have a society right now that believes that, you know what, the best way to resolve issues is for people to talk to each other and to to discuss. Because ultimately, the truth is, guys, and you know this, that as human beings, we all have much more in common than we do in, in terms mm-hmm. of differentiating from each other. We're not that different from each other. People basically all want the same things. And then where there are places in society, because there are many of these places that absolutely need to be changed or reformed, well, you change and reform things by talking about them. And in some cases, yes, protesting and being an activist and, and making your voice heard loudly. But that doesn't mean that you throw milkshakes in people's faces in order to make that point. You do it through, through uh, compassion and you do it through speaking out and speaking truth, because I believe truth ultimately prevails. If it is spoken, it ultimately prevails. Well, that sounds very reasonable to me. There is, it's like the media is stirring the violence that takes place. Like they want us to be pitted against one another. Do you believe that? Yes, because it's good for their bottom line. As long as you can keep people in silos and against each other. Listen, you mentioned the dwindling numbers on cable news. It's absolutely true. Every year, the numbers are down year over year. Uh, it is a small group of people, and actually, it's primarily people about 65 and up who are in that demographic who even watch them. However, if you can keep those people focused and pitted against each other, you can, ke- you can continue to ride this thing out for another decade, which means billions of dollars in revenue of people hating each other, being afraid of each other, being angry with each other. But, but that is a short-term model. Um, very quickly, let me say this. I once talked because I was recruited by a couple of different networks to work for them. And one of the networks, uh, I had a discussion with their VP of television about going to work there. And I said to him, what is your plan for the future? Because this is not sustain- sustainable. And the response I got was this. We know that this ship is going to crash into the rocks. We know we have about a decade before it happens. But you want the truth? We're all going to be retired by that time. And it won't matter to us. It's somebody else's problem. That's sad. Well, 
we appreciate you coming on, Ben, and, and sharing uh, the truth as, as you understand it. I think well, we agree with you that it's time for change and disruption. The website for you guys to check out, isegoria.com, I-S-E-G-O-R-I-A.com, or check out Ben's other site as well, truthinmedia.com, Mr. Ben Swan. Thank you, sir. It was a pleasure, guys. Thank you very much. That's good stuff right there. And as we said, we will have a non-fungible token collectible. But it's still fun. It's a fun non-fungible. It's fun non-fungible. And we'll get to that here shortly. And also want to let you guys know. Hey, we've we've been seeing a lot of interesting new social media platforms popping up recently. One of which is a sponsor of the show, So Me social s-o-m-e-e dot social and somi is a blockchain-based social media platform it's built for privacy and content monetization all kinds of great stuff it's also privacy focused and it's censorship resistant which is what we need in times like this it provides you multiple monetization options content curation rewards offers advertising revenue sharing and social dashboard uh, offers streamlined posting across all social media platforms from this one platform, go check it out. It's so me.social. That's the one. All right. It's Amplify Exchange. Let's go across the pond to our friends in Ireland. We've seen so many exchanges pop up over the last couple of years. And it's always interesting to us when one is trying to do something different from all the others. And uh, we've seen a handful of those that are promising commission-free trading, wondering how they pull that off. And one such exchange is uh, featured on this segment. We have Justin Tab, the CEO of the Amplify Exchange. The website is amplifyexchange.com. And Justin, welcome to Bad Cryptopia. Awesome. Thank you for having me. We're, we're a friendly place. We have a lot of small furry animals running around wondering what Bitcoin's all about. Well, uh, a lot of people are in the same boat they are. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell us, uh, why did you decide to fire up another exchange? What's the problem out there that we need another exchange? Sure. So, I mean, I believe that uh, exchanges have not removed the barriers to entry necessary uh, to get every what everyone claims to want. Institutional money standard retail investors to bring them over, but no one's willing to put their money where their mouth is and uh, follow suit with sort of uh, the trends that traditional uh, online trading platforms are taking nowadays. So while uh, blockchain and Bitcoin and digital assets are arguably futuristic uh, technologies, and they are uh, far uh, leaps and uh, leaps and bounds ahead of where what traditional online pl- trading platforms are doing, Traditional online trading platforms, the actual platform is better uh, than anything that's on the market today for uh, cryptocurrency exchanges. And if you look historically just at what they've done, you know, you had Robinhood come in in 2013 after 20 years, you know, 1985 is the first uh, online trading platform with uh, Trade Plus, which became E-Trade. After 15, 20 years of them uh, doing the transaction-based fee model, Robinhood comes in in 2013 and turns that on its head. And then you saw October 1st this past year, 2019, Charles Schwab go ahead and go commission free. And then the three big players behind them, Fidelity, uh, TD Ameritrade and E-Trade all go commission free with some restrictions, though. And that's where we feel that we're a little bit different. Mm. So I, I find that's interesting is because you talk about all these different you know trading platforms that have gone commission free. And I think Coinbase just raised its fees. 
Correct. So I and I believe they're going the wrong wrong direction. You know, they they can do it currently because of their you know they've had the first mover advantage ad, advantage coming on the marketplace in 2014, and so they have you know eight billion dollars or something like that assets under management. But I believe they're taking advantage of their uh, user base and just saying, well, people aren't really going to want to move their money uh, for adjusting fees up another percentage and a half or whatever it was, and so we can do that be, to to adjust for our lost revenue based on trading volumes. And instead of being smart and saying, well, how, how have banks made money's money for a hundred plus years? Well, they do that using assets under management. And so that's our long-term approach is to not only remove fees on our brokerage product, but on our premium products, uh, which we'll be rolling out this year. And we'll be implementing a money market suite vehicle in quarter two, which is uh, unique to the, the way any other exchange does that. So you have other platforms out there like Celsius that are trying to do uh, or doing well, arguably, you know, interest bearing accounts. But the issues with it is there's long lockup periods. Uh, They pay out interest once a week and, you know, customers cannot actively trade assets. So if I've, you know, for me as a trader, if I take and I say, I'm going to give 10 Bitcoin to Celsius and I'm earning that at 2% interest rate. And then all of a sudden Ethereum goes on a huge run and I want to trade into Ethereum. Well, I can't do that. So with, with the product that we're building, it tracks it down in real time, adjusts lending rates in real time. So if I want to trade from Bitcoin into Ethereum, that's fine. Go ahead and trade from Bitcoin into Ethereum and we'll adjust the lending rate and you can do whatever you want. So to, to my earlier point about removing barriers to entry, we believe that by doing that, then it gives people the freedom and the security to know that, okay, not my assets are insured, okay, because they are with us. I can do what I want with my assets. I can trade them at any time. I can withdraw them at any time. This about a standard crypto withdrawal, five to 10 minutes. Uh, that's all the lockup is instead of a full week. And I can earn interest on them while they're sitting there. So it's really the best of all worlds. And as consumers become more you know, used to, to not having to pay fees, I mean, I don't pay fees with my uh, money that says to JP Morgan because they're lending it out overnight lending rates nine to one, right? So that's why I don't pay for any wire transfers. I don't pay for a monthly service fee, right? And consumers are becoming more, Uh, educated that they should expect that. And I believe that's what they're going to expect along with the sophisticated feature set before they're moving their money into the digital asset space and exchange. So we're willing to put our money where our mouth is. We understand we're not the first to, to, uh, to the, to the party here with Coinbase, you know, and others like that, but we do believe we can do it better than anybody else. And uh, to that fair point, Starbucks didn't invent coffee, right? You know, they just did it better than anybody else. And that's they what we, didn't. we can do. They did. <laughs> they did. I'm, putting, I'm putting food where my mouth is. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good place for it, Travis. Uh, I'm going to put words where my mouth is okay. right now. So you've, um, you, you've got USD as one of your pairs, which, you know, a lot of crypto exchanges don't give you the ability to purchase the USD. You've got uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, a number of tokens. And then I see the AMPX token how does that work in your ecosystem correct so basically so as we roll out our our full exchange this quarter uh so the brokerage will remain commission free but until we've built up enough assets under management to make money off of assets under management sustain ourselves we will be instituting a standard taker model on our full exchange premium product um and so by using the ampex loyalty token you can save 50 percent, which is pretty standard uh on any trades you do or any trades you do in the Ampex market directly will be commission free. So if you use Ampex tokens to buy Bitcoin, it costs you nothing. If you use uh, Bitcoin to buy Ethereum and you use Ampex tokens for the transaction fee, then it saves you 50% uh, and then saves on withdrawal fees and things like that as well. So that's 
pretty standard. But as we build up our assets under management over time and we hit certain thresholds, greater than 50% of revenue coming from assets under management, we reduce that fee in half. And then when we hit greater than 85% of revenue coming from assets under management, we completely remove all fees on even premium products. Mm. Let me ask you this, this assets under management. Um, um, the thought is in the, in the industry is if you don't own your keys, you don't own your crypto. So don't keep your crypto on exchanges. Why would it be different on Amplify Exchange to keep your some of your assets on the exchange? Because that goes against what some people have been taught. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. And I think, you know, in, in early days, that definitely was the thing. But like now we have a $100 million insurance policy through Lloyd's of London. I think as you go to bring on less sophisticated, less technical users that you're going to have to expect that people are going to want to store some crypto in your exchange. Obviously, people are doing it or Coinbase wouldn't have $8 billion of assets under management, right? So what our job is to make sure that we protect those as good as possible, right? Uh, that we have you know, insurance in the case of a hack, which we do obviously go be above and beyond to make sure that that doesn't happen. And then that we provide our customers with the best end user experience that they can for leaving those assets there and taking that risk, whether they're actively trading them or not. And you're based out of Ireland. So yes, the company is based out of Ireland. We have an office here in the US uh, where we have about 21 full-time employees that are building the product and managing the product and marketing the product. And so, you know, we are a real full-time team. I tell people stop by and see us anytime. We're here Monday through Friday. Well, kiss my blarney stone then and top of the morning to you. Uh, Great to have you on. Thanks, Justin. The website, AmplifyExchange.com. Y'all check it out. Put the blarney stone where your mouth is. Yeah. Or don't because it's so diseased. Like, who, who wants to kiss this thing that, you know, a million other people have put their lips on? Don't lick Not me. Gross. <laughs> hey, we got another sponsor we want to tell you about because we personally really love these guys. MobiPay.io, M-O-B-I-E dot M-O-B-I-E pay dot I-O. Mobile payments are all the rage. But uh, I tell you what, the current transfer of money is slow and expensive, and fiat currency is pretty dirty. So Moby has built these apps using blockchain technology to help speed these things up. They have a mainstream consumer wallet that has mobile payments, instant cash back, banking and debit card, peer-to-peer payments. They have Moby X, which is their current cryptocurrency exchange, uh, crypto and trading app, along with their wallet. They got Moby Pay, which is this merchant and settlement app, which offers lower processing fees, eliminates chargebacks. Uh, really interesting things. They, they receive their funds instantly, and uh, a lot of people are really liking that. And uh, I think you should check it out. It's MobyPay.io. If you go there, there's a there's a thing going on right now where you can sign up and get ten dollars worth of free MBX tokens. And why not get why not do that? Because anytime you can get a little bit of cryptos in this winter is a good idea. Indeed it is. And as we promised, we do have a non-fungible token collectible for this episode. Now, before we tell you where to get it, a bunch of you are like, wait, where's my Vitalik NFT? Where's my NFT.NYC NFT? I'm not getting them. We're getting these emails and, and uh, you know, you're showing up on Travis's door and, you know, it's just, it's not good. So here's Dude, the You do deal. not want to come to my door during this, this virus. I don't know who you are. I'm just telling you. Click, click. 
when <laughs> when the crypto markets crashed, something happened with the Ethereum blockchain that slowed everything down. In fact, Patricio, uh, who is the creator of Poap, told me back on the 13th that when he went to send the latest tokens, that mining them would have cost $3 each instead of the standard $0.04 cents per token to send them. So we've had to hold off until the Ethereum blockchain sorts itself off. As of this recording, the Vitalik tokens are allegedly in line to be sent, that um, they, they are in the meme pool waiting to be mined. And next up will be the NFT.NYC. So if you haven't gotten your Ron Paul one yet, it goes until midnight on the 18th Eastern Standard Time, and that's gone. And some people probably haven't gone for it because they're like, well, they're not sending them to me anyway. They're coming, and you don't want to miss the Ron Paul one. So he's at badco.in forward slash Ron. But we've got a brand new You better hurry up because that might be gone. Don't wait you better long. you better run don't walk <laughs> we've got a new one mr travis wright that looks beautiful great job putting this together for ben swan this is going to be nft number 009 and you can claim it starting now at badco.in forward slash fake ah you thought it was going to be badco.in forward slash ben nope badco.in forward slash fake f-a-k-e and that's where you'll be able to claim this until friday the 20th at midnight eastern standard time so go grab those nfts we are going to make the rewards available soon and we know a bunch of you are accumulatifying them so i like that accumulatifying oh uh. oh uh. That is yeah. word of wait a second, wait a second. Ben Swan, I actually, I might have screwed up. I put a picture of just a regular swan. Oh, damn it. So it'll be like a black swan. It's, it's the black swan. Yeah. And, and this show just took a swan dive. Hey, everybody, we appreciate you sticking with us here through these tough times. We're here for you. We're not we going away. Here. Plus, you ain't got nowhere to go. So might as well just listen to podcasts. Yeah. And tell your friends and family and business associates that you're like, you know what? As long as you got nowhere to go. Go listen to the Bad Crypto Podcast. Send them our way on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, CastBox, Podbean, all the places. I mean, if you can't find us, then you probably can't find, you know, your own. Well, it's really easy. We have these keywords. It's called Bad Crypto. You type those in anywhere, we pop up. So it's it's pretty handy. And I do want to say this, man. I know this is a scary time for a lot of folks. We're trying to figure out. I mean... Some places are shutting down businesses completely. I know Kansas City, where I live, they've shut down all bars and restaurants for people to come in. They still have like deliveries and stuff. So it's definitely getting a little hairy. So keep in mind, you know, we're here bringing you guys good content. Uh, keep it lighthearted to kind of, you know, we're trying to keep keep things as normal as possible. We're going to keep doing these podcasts because we know a lot of folks out there really love listening to us and, and go on and banter back and forth and things will get better. Uh, or, or they won't, but we're going to keep moving forward. That's just the way it goes. I mean, this is a new challenge that humanity has to deal with, and it is a little frightening because there's so much uncertainty. But I would always just say this. Realize this, folks. We are spiritual beings that are having a human experience. And right now, collectively, the human experience is a little rocky road, but humanity always seems to get through these things with flying colors. Things might change, but uh, most of us will see our way through it. And just keep the peace, keep faith, and, and I like uh, Rocky Road. And maybe stay bad. Maybe I was gonna say I like mint chocolate chip better though. 
Okay. Stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.